0: So last week, after the sermon, I got this great question. Somebody came up to me and they said, and and I appreciate this, and I want you to know that I want you to do this stuff. Because sometimes I say stuff from up here, and I think it's, it's coming out the way I intend it to, and... Somebody else receives it in a different way than what I intended. So somebody came out to me last week and they said, well, pastor, you know, you, you kept talking about us being saints and you kept talking about us being saints and you kept talking about this. It's not their words, I'm paraphrasing, right? And, and I get that, but don't we still sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you heard me say last week that we do not sin as born-again believers, please understand that was not what I was saying. I am saying it's a mentality. We are not sinners. We are not defeated. The Bible does not refer to you as a born-again believer, as a defeated sinner. It refers to you as a saint who sometimes sins. The letters, the epistles, are written to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at Rome, to the saints who are at Colossae. They're written to the saints, and then they address a lot of sin. (laughs) Right? We're saints who sometimes sin. We are saints by calling... Not by deed. Positionally, we are completely and totally clean in the eyes of God. Practically, we're progressing in that. Amen? So, please come and talk to me about this stuff. I I enjoy feedback from my sermons because it helps me to understand what's going on in people's hearts and and how things are, are being received. So today we're continuing our our series in Hebrews, and remember that last week the whole thing that I was trying to get across to the congregation is that you, I want everybody to raise one finger like this, and I want you to now aim it at yourself, you are significant to God. The person you are pointing at is significant to God. That was the point of last week's message. You are significant to God. We're going to continue on that vein of thought today because the writer of Hebrews continues in that vein of thought. This is something that is very important. Today, we are going to cover a large chunk of the book of Hebrews. We are going to be looking at maybe... Verses 4 through 14 of chapter 1. Now, I want you to understand that this is 11 verses. Some of you are doing math and you're saying 14 minus 4 is 10. It includes 4, so it's 11. Count it on your fingers. And uh, (laughs) what is wrong with me? Besides a lot. But we're going to probably go back and look at some very specific things over the month of October out of this passage of scripture. But we are trying to get the general overall feel of this next 11 verses. Okay? So we're going to be looking at 11 verses today. So let's read the passage together. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. You may have a different translation than that. That's okay. They're all translations. All right? Some of them are better than others. Bottom line is, if yours has a translation error, we can address that. Mine's perfect. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Nah, I'm teasing. Mine's not perfect. So, all right. So verse uh, 4. Let's pick it up there. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is Jesus that we're talking about here, right? For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today, I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be like to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and and his ministers the flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, Is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain... They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for you? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Let's pray Father There is more than a mouthful In this passage of scripture There are more than a lot of mouthfuls in this passage of scripture Yet we know That you want us to be able to hear what you're saying today And so we ask you to pour out your spirit In a very real way Transform lives today it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. Now I want to ask you a question. I want you to, you don't have to shout it out, just get the person in your head. I want you to think of somebody that you are really, really, really proud of. Okay, now everybody stop thinking of Keith Lally. Pick somebody else (laughs) that you're really proud of. No, I'm just kidding. So your mom, your dad, your kids, right? We all can think of somebody we're really proud of, right? I want you to get this person in your mind, okay? It's very important that when I ask you to do this stuff, that you do the exercise with me because it makes the it makes sermon make a whole lot more sense. So you get this person in your mind, right? Now I want you to answer this question again in your head. How do people know that you are really proud of this person? Maybe maybe it's fair to ask do they know? But if they know, how do they know? How do they know that you are proud of the person that you're thinking of? Do you talk about this person? Do you brag about this person? I do. I'm proud of my kids. I am proud of my three children. Before we came over here to be the pastor, I was bragging to Missy about my three uh, teenage children being the champions uh, in quizzing of the region that we used to be in, the Altoona region. How good they were. They were in, in the competition in that area. They were so dominant of the competition in that area that the other kids just kind of Quit even trying, which in turn caused my kids to quit trying because they're like, well, we can whoop them without working. <laughs> but uh, my kids, they're, they're good, man. My kids, Lindsay and Dylan, both scored really high on the SAT, really high. They're taking it again to see if we can bump it up a little more. Dylan has and Lindsay both almost have maxed out uh, what they can get on academic scholarships from Crown College if they decide to go there. Because they did that well on their SAT. I'm proud of my kids. I brag about it. If you are around me for any time period, you will know that I am proud of my kids. Two of my kids are freakish musicians in a good way. Right? Alicia, you can pretty much throw any instrument at her, and she can just wear that thing out. Dylan is an excellent drummer. Right? Right? Lindsay was known in the Southern District of the Christian Missionary Alliance for having this servant's heart. And, and we bragged about her and talked about her. And people wanted to talk about how we'd be at district conference and things. And Lindsay would come alongside and she would just be serving. And nobody would ask her. And we're like, yeah, that's because she's a, you know, she's got that in her. We would tell people about our kids. And we were proud of our children. And it's okay for you to be bragging about the person that you're proud of. Because that shows that you love them. Do the people that you interact with, do they know these kind of things about the person that you're proud of? Do they know how awesome you think that person is? Well, let's turn our eyes back to the passage. You're thinking, what does this have to do with Jesus being superior to the angels? This is what God is doing with his son. He is bragging on how awesome his kid is. Not only that, he's comparing him to the angels. For which of the angels did God say, you're my son, today I've begotten you. Uh, The answer to that question is none. Right? None of them. None of the angels did God say that to. God is bragging through the writer of Hebrews about his kid. He talks about his uprightness. He talks about him having a throne that endures forever. Because, he is, because Jesus is so righteous and hates wickedness, God has anointed him with the oil of gladness beyond his companions. I mean, those are things that God is saying about his son through this passage. He is bragging on his son big time. And then he goes on to say at the end, sit at my right hand. Now, we do understand this, I think, in American context. But just in case we don't, in the ancient world, in this culture, the right hand of someone was the reserved place of honor. God is saying, sit at my right hand. Sit in the place of honor. Sit in the highest honored position until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. God is bragging here. God is saying, how awesome Jesus is. He's saying Jesus is better than everyone else. He's even better than all of the angels. So in effect, the writer of Hebrews is saying, here is our king. David Crowder sang a song about that. Here is our king, here is our love, here is our God who... Come to bring us back to Him. He is the one, He is Jesus. This is your King. This is your Prince of Peace. This is your rock. But this begs the question why? You need to start asking this question when you read the scriptures. You really do. Why did God put this in here? I think a lot of times we read scriptures and we go, oh, that's neat, that's cool. And we don't really say why. Why is this here? What purpose is Now, I want to point out to you before we move into one of the purposes of this, the main purpose of this is pointed out in chapter 2, which we're going to get to probably in November, okay? The main point of this is in chapter 2. But, and it is a really big but, we cannot help but take notice that this amazing, awesome king that God the Father is so proud of is exactly the one who died For me. He's the one who died for me. God, through the writer of Hebrews, is saying something like this. Check out my son. You see how awesome he is? This king of everything the one with the powerful rhema message. Remember we talked about the rhema word last week? The rhema word, the message of I love you. This is the one who died for you. And I want to remind you of that. And and so I, you're going to see, well, how does this all link together? And I want to just encourage you something. If, if you're not regularly and consistently in church, and when the times that you miss asking for a copy of the cd you're probably going to get lost really fast with my preaching it's not usually stuff that you can pop in and out of you got to stay in it because it all links together because the books all link together right These aren't standalone messages so we need to make sure we remember this rhema word right remember in verse three last week he is the radiance of the glory of god he the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power by the rhema of his dunamis The rhema, the word there translated rhema, is powerful message. What is the powerful message? What was the point of last week's message? You are significant to Jesus Christ. You are significant to God. Guys, what I'm saying here is, if God, who is so proud of His only begotten Son, is willing to let Jesus die in your place... And how special does he think you are? Amen, brother. He thinks you are pretty doggone special. In my notes, it says beat on this drum for a little while. I am clearly proud of my children. I love them. I think they are pretty doggone special. And you know what? I'm pretty proud of Ron, too. But Ron, if it comes down to you or my kids, I'm picking my kids, buddy. All right? And you're doing the same thing, right? Right? But God didn't do that. How many of you in this room right now would sacrifice your child for the good of the person next to you? Wait a minute. Let's change that. For the good of someone who is spitting in your face and rejecting you and rebelling against you and giving you the finger every time they think about you. Because that's what we were doing. Scripture says that while we were sinners, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were rejecting him, while we were mocking him, while we were rolling dice and gambling for his clothes, he gave him up for you. That should stagger you, that should blow you away. I do not know a whole lot about OCCA yet. But I know one thing that I believe that God has told me clearly. That the vast majority of you do not understand who you are in Christ. You do not understand how significant you are. You feel like you've disappointed God. Like he looks down at you and and is, and is upset with you. Like he thinks you're a big loser. Listen to me. Listen to me. I am telling you, I'm speaking the very words of God to you. He doesn't think this about you. He gave up his son. Who he is so proud of so that you could have life, please let that sink in. Because when that begins to sink into us, we don't have to perform for Him anymore. Do not misunderstand me. God cares about our actions. He wants us to live holy lives because He's holy. But when we understand our significance, we are free to live those lives of holiness. When we stumble, when we fall down, we can say, okay, I can get back up. I can dust myself off. I have something I do every time I baptize somebody. Would you come here, son? This is pretty much how baptism goes with me. Do not fall down, boy. Grab my hand. All right? In view of your testimony and the evidence of regeneration in your life, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Oh, come back up, boy. Man, he, went, he was going to go down. And then I do this. And I turn and I whisper in their ear this. Listen to me. You are going to fall down. You are going to sin still. When you do, get up. Dust yourself off. Put your eyes back on Jesus and start walking again. You haven't lost. I say something like that every time I baptize somebody. If you've fallen in sin, get up. God is not angry. He has taken his wrath out on his son. So get up! Get up! And walk! Get up and walk! But I know the argument. I've heard it a million times. People say, well, pastor, isn't it arrogant to think of myself this way? Listen, it is not arrogant or foolish To accept and rest in how much God loves you. It is essential to your spiritual health and growth. It's not arrogant at all. People say, oh, no, 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 Pastor. No, 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 no. Because in Romans 12.3... It says, for by grace given to me, I say to you, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. So see, we're not supposed to think highly of ourselves. Uh, I want to go back and I want to read it slower. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly Then he ought to think. The phrase translated to think of himself more highly is actually one word in the Greek. It's one word. Please do not hold me to my pronunciation. It's Hippophronin. And it does not mean to think of oneself highly. It means to not think of oneself too highly. There's a significant difference there. It basically means don't exaggerate how special you are in your own mind. But it does not imply at all that you cannot think you're special. The world does not revolve around you. And don't think that it does. That's probably how Eugene Peterson would paraphrase it if he was standing here right now. The world doesn't revolve around you. What does he say? Romans 12, 3, look it up. She, my wife's got the message in her parallel Bible here. so But, you know, Eugene Peterson probably says something like that, right? It's don't exaggerate. But it doesn't say don't think highly of yourself. God thinks so highly of you that he gave his son to die in your place. Let this sink in. Because this is a truth that, quite frankly, as a church, we've got to get a hold of. Hmm. <laughs> What's it say, friend? I'm speaking, to you out of deep gratitude. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me. For all that God has given me. Especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. And especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does. Living then, as every one of you does. In pure grace. In pure grace. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves. It's as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. No, God it all to you. The, only to the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is, is, by what God is and by what he does for us. Not by what we are and what we do for him. Man, I should have so totally used that one instead. <laughs> do you get it? It's not about what you do. It's about what he did. And you are significant. Angela, I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. You are the apple of God's eye. And you need to grab a hold of that. And it's not just Angela, it is every single person that has ever existed. It's not arrogant think of yourselves in this way so why is this important why is this important there are three applications that we want to look at from this passage why why it's important for you to understand this okay this is why first of all maybe oh there we go all right it corrects my personal understanding of my significance and it empowers me to live A victorious Christian life. I've been doing this pastoring gig now for almost 11 years. On the 30th of September, it'll be 11 years. You would be shocked at how many Christians I know that are living defeated. Or Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you thought you were the only one. You'd be shocked about this. I mean, so many people live defeated. They live this, what I call Eeyore Christianity. No matter. (laughs) It'll probably rain today. I know I'm going to sin and fail, so why even try? Instead of Tigger Christianity. You know, the wonderful thing about Tiggers is, is Tigger's a wonderful thing, right? Tigger realizes he's awesome, right? His top is made of rubber, his bottom is made of the springs, he's bouncy, trouncy, flouncy, bouncy, fun, 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 fun. Bonnie is like, slow down, preacher. <laughs> right? I never watched Pooh, ever. <laughs> but, uh, But you know, it's not this Eeyore thing, it's this Tigger thing. You are significant to God. You're significant to God. And so this corrects your understanding if you will get a hold of this and you'll realize that you're significant and then you become empowered by God's Spirit to live a victorious Christian life. You're like, I can fail and God still loves me. I can fall flat on my face and God still loves me and does not reject me. You need to grab that. Tuck that up underneath your arm and walk out of this place today with that truth and never let it go. Never let it go. The second application. It helps me to properly love others in my family, both my biological and my church family. See, when I love Brenda properly and I see her significance, I don't feel like I need to correct every one of her flaws. I don't feel like I need to go up and point out to her everywhere she messed up. As a matter of fact, I'm free to go to Mary and publicly say how impressed I am with your teaching in Sunday school for real. I listened to what you were saying and you were connecting the dots for people in a real way. And you know what? Maybe you taught a stinker last week that I didn't get to hear, you know, or see, right? Right? But see, I can, I can give her that compliment knowing that you know she probably messes up sometimes and it's okay. I can realize that a preacher can make a mistake. He can say something crazy and we don't just ostracize him. I mean, I love that about Christians. That's what we do. Like we love such and such a preacher or such and such an author until he says one crazy thing and then we're like, Yep, he's the devil. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, there are some preachers that we ought not to listen to. Okay? There are. There are some preachers out there that are teaching some dangerous, dangerous, dangerous heresies. Rob Bell's one of them. Rob Bell is not teaching the truth. He's teaching there's no hell. It's not the truth. So we ought not to listen to the man. But you know what? There are preachers who have differences of opinion than I do, and that is okay. Because I understand that they're part of my church family. You're like, well, well pastor, there's only one preacher who goes to church here right now. Well, no. See, there's, there's this universal church and there's a local congregation, and both are important. And God calls us to be committed to both. And to make that commitment known publicly. But this whole thing, when I understand that, that when I understand that Sarah is significant or that Keith is significant or that Frank is significant, you know or that Brian or Steve or Dave is significant, then it's okay and I love the person and I, and I, and I accept them with their warts and all. And I don't think that they have to be perfect. And I don't put them up on a pedestal. And I don't get disappointed and and crushed every time they make a mistake. For me as a pastor, it says, hey, I can let you mess up. And God is still God. He's still in control. Sometimes people really struggle with my philosophy of ministry. Do you know that I don't care as a pastor if somebody's in ministry and they mess up and they fail? I do not care at all. Because I know... Like, I know some truth, and I know this one's true. Like, you're going to fail, okay? doesn't bother me. You're probably going to say something so crazy that sometime you're going to leave somebody with some warped theology. doesn't really bother me until you keep repeating the same mistake over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again until you're not learning. But it doesn't bother me that you make mistakes. Why? Because I know how cool God thinks you are. I know that God loves you. It allows me to speak into your life and give correction and rebuke. And when you understand how significant you are, you're able to receive it. It allows me to let you come and challenge me on my sermons. Or challenge me on whether or not we should do moving out Sunday. Sunday. Or challenge me on this or challenge me on that. And I know that my significance doesn't rest in that. And finally, it opens my eyes to see that lost people in my community are not enemies. Instead, they are men and women that Jesus is desperate to show his love to. And he wants to do it through me. I'm going to say something that's going to blow your mind, probably, for some of you. Some of you are going to be totally cool with it. Others of you are going to, you're going to reel at it, and you're going to want to shout out, That's not true! God is passionately in love with the criminals in this community, the child molesters, the drug dealers, the pimps and the hustlers, the prostitutes, the murderers. He's in love with them. And somewhere inside there's some of you that are reeling with this. and others of you are embracing this because you know this is true. While we were yet still sinners, Christ died for. Us And when I realized that, when I realized that lost people in the community are not my enemy, now I am free to love them. God wants to reach them. You yourself were an enemy at one time. And you were just as wicked as a child molester. Oh yes, you were. Because God says if you stumble at one point of his law, you're guilty of it all. We make varying levels of right and wrong. To God, it's wrong or it's right. Hatred, same thing as murder. Lust, same thing as adultery. God has no difference in the sin book. Humans do. But his thing is perfection or marred. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? These applications, it seems like there's a common thread in these applications. There is a common thread. It's called the Imago Dei. It's what theologians call the Imago Dei. The image of God. In Genesis, we learn that we are all created in the image of God. Male and female, created in the image of God. Murderers, child molesters, church people, preachers, all are image bearers of God. And I could get into a probably 20-part series on the image of God, and so I can't get into all that today. But you've got to understand that. Image bearers. Lost people aren't your enemy. Church people aren't your enemy. Your family is not your enemy. This, pa- this part of the Scripture, really when we look at this, and again, I want to I say this, this is not the main thrust of these 11 verses. But it is a subthrust. Subthrust a subpoint that you are created in the image of God and he wants to restore that image the way that it's supposed to be i wish this were not true but it is there are a lot of christians who used to live in oil city who no longer live in oil city who told me, basically, that I was an idiot for coming to Oil City, not because of the church, but because the community was so bad. And I just smiled and said, thanks. And I thought in my head, who better to go to than people who need him? Where better to be than with people who need him? Where better to go shine his light than in the Lincoln land of laughter? Where kids can start seeing that the church actually cares about them and isn't a blight on the community. And let's just be quite honest with one another. There are a lot of churches that are blights on a lot of communities. We just suck the life right out of them. Or to go to a house and put in some windows. Or to go to a nursing home where people are in the twilight years of their life, many of which, if they die right now, are going to hell. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people come to saving faith in the nursing home. They say, well, there's people say, well, people in nursing homes don't get saved because they're so set in their ways. You better believe that when people are getting close to the end of their life, they start thinking about eternal things. Or to drive around our community and pray as the Spirit of God leads you. You might be driving down Central, drive by a house, and the Lord prompts you. There's a fist fight between a husband and wife going on in there right now. Stop and pray. And you may never find out what happened there, but you need to stop and pray. God talks like that, by the way. We need to restore the image of God to people in our minds. Because it's there already. It's in you. It's in the people sitting to your right, to your left, to your back, to your front. And it's in our community. There are people who are dying to understand this about themselves. Are you going to go tell them? I want you to look at your neighbor. Go on, look at them. You don't have to look at me. Look at your neighbor. I don't want you to now. I want you to listen Just seriously listen to the holy spirit. Holy spirit's going to speak to you He's going to tell you I want you to tell this person this Whatever pops in your mind tell them Hey, god wants you to know he's proud of you. Whatever it is. He will I promise I know some of you think i'm nuts But I promise you i'm not nuts if god's not willing to do this then I quit seriously I'm not serving a God who's not involved. Go ahead, look at your neighbor. Tell him what God tells you to tell him. Just sit there and, and think about it for, and rest and say, Lord, I want you to speak, no matter how crazy it sounds. Mark, what was that word a while back that you got that you said from, that you felt like the Lord told you to say? Okay. Mark said that from the pulpit one day, from the stage one day. Mark, God's not mad at you. And somebody it broke him down. They needed to hear that. The person sitting next to you, God needs to hear what he's telling you to tell them. So go ahead and tell them. I know it seems weird. It happens like this. There's a young lady in here, I don't know who, but there's a teenage girl in here who recently lost her virginity. And you are like, God will never, never take me back. I don't know who you are, but he wants you to know he still loves you he will still restore you. Maybe in the next couple of weeks, the young lady who needed to hear that will come and say, Pastor, it's okay to tell everybody that I, that I heard it. It's that kind of stuff. It's risky, and I could be wrong, but I'd rather take a chance for Jesus and mess up telling somebody, What I think God's telling me to tell them, than sit in silence while they keep struggling. Some of you are hurting. Some of you are hurting bad. And you've been hurting for years. You've been hurting for years. Like Mark said, God's not mad at you. He's in love with you. He gave up that awesome king for you. I know that some of you won't take my word for it. all of these passages of scripture that are for homework this week have to do with being image bearers of God people that God dearly loves and the last couple really start addressing what that should mean to us because of that monday we have genesis 1:26 through 31 Tuesday, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Wednesday, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Thursday, James 3, 1 through 12. Friday, Romans 13, 8 through 10. And Saturday, Matthew 12, 9 through 14. I don't know anything about OCCA hardly at all. I mean, I'm, man, I can't even remember everybody's name. I call a lot of women Mrs. So-and-so because I can't remember their first name, but for some reason I can remember their last name. I've just told on myself, right? But I know this. There are a lot of us who do not understand how significant we are to God. And God has said, Jerry, tell him. He told me to preach through Hebrews a month before I got the job. Because he is in love with you. And he wants you to know. Because when you know, you are free. In whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Let's pray. Father, we are so good as Christians at criticizing everybody. We smack each other around. We beat each other up. We criticize one another. We criticize our community. We talk about at least we're not like those people. Lord, I'm asking you, have your way. This week, Lord, during the homework, I pray that you would speak to people's hearts and their minds and that they would come to understand their significance in a real way and true way. It's in Jesus' name we pray.